Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series, Integrity Matters, a K2 Integrity Podcast. This podcast series is business and financial fraud, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. For this series, I'm joined by Joanne Taylor, a managing director at K2 Integrity. Joanne has 20 years of legal investigations and financial crime compliance experience, which includes fraud risk management, anti-bribery and corruption, regulatory enforcement, and fraud investigations experience working within the financial and legal services industries. I'm also joined by Ray Dukey. Ray is a managing director of K2 Integrity's investigation and risk advisory practice. He has more than 25 years experience in compliance, integrity risk monitoring and management, and investigations. His experience spans across industries with specific focus on financial services, life sciences, as well as real estate and construction. Over the next five episodes, we will take a look at the top fraud trends to expect in 2021, the regulatory landscape in 2021 and misconduct, best practices in fraud prevention, how to detect fraud, and responding to fraud once uncovered. In this episode, I'm joined by Ray Dukey, where we take up best practices in fraud prevention. This five-part K2 Integrity podcast is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode in our K2 Integrity podcast series, focusing on business and financial fraud. Today, I have back with me Ray Dukey, and we're going to visit on best practices in fraud prevention. Ray, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me again. Thank you, Tom. Great to be here with you, as always. Ray, in our last episode, we talked about the changing regulatory landscape, and we previously visited on new and emerging fraud schemes. And I really wanted to use those as a basis to ask you, what are some of your thoughts on how organizations should stay ahead of these issues and move from just simply a detect mode to a prevent uh, fraud and misconduct mode? Great question, Tom. I think there are several aspects of a a fraud and misconduct uh, prevention program. As, as everyone is aware, you know, a risk assessment is sort of the key first uh, element of that program, given the, the changes in the regulatory landscape and new regulations. Uh, I, I believe that organizations need to stay informed and, and stay ahead of uh, those regulations, and a risk assessment is absolutely key. Along with that comes sort of a gap analysis of the policies, procedures, and, and this is the under-emphasized point, Tom, and that is financial controls. Um, I, I don't think they get enough credit in in, uh, in 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 the compliance world, and I think that's that's certainly an area. Being that I'm a CPA, I'm, I'm certainly it's near and dear to my heart, and so I think that's where we we should expect that companies should be enhancing their policies, procedures, and controls to address the new risks that they and emerging risks. Another aspect of, of fraud prevention is around training. Um, you, you know, you cannot underestimate sort of the power of training. I think that's that's where uh, an organization ensures that their their officers, their directors, their employees uh, on the front lines are informed of the risks and then the potential new controls that they may be responsible for, right? Um, the last thing you want is for for uh, an organization to do, do a good job at understanding the risks and creating a policy and procedure, but nobody knows about it. And therefore, they don't know how to, to uh, d- deploy the, the new control or implement that new control. And I think 
the, the last uh, you know point, and I'm sure there are many more, but the, the ones that come to mind are sort of this an audit readiness assessment. So given a shift in the regulatory landscape and the new regulations, that has implications for policies and controls. We want to make sure that if you know regulators are going to come into an organization, that we understand where the pitfalls in our compliance controls are before they get here. Right. And so I think those are just a few examples of some of the things that, uh, you know, are, are really helpful in preventing fraud and misconduct. Recently had a major uh, fraud enforcement action by the U.S. Department of Justice. And in that uh, settlement, they listed out the uh, steps for really for a fraud risk management program. And of course, they had in their risk assessment. So I think com- compliance practitioners and fraud risk Practitioners understand the need for a risk assessment, but I still have many, get many questions on how, how do you conduct it? And more importantly, how do you conduct it uh, 11 months into the coronavirus health crisis? I was wondering what some of your, uh, your thoughts on leading practices, kind of where we are now might be. Now, great. Another great question, Tom. I, I think, yes, we certainly need to be mindful of the pandemic and its implications on and how we implement controls more broadly. With respect to a risk assessment, you know, the fundamental concepts are that is that it should be regular. So, you know, just because there's a pandemic doesn't mean that we stop <laughs> doing risk assessments. We need to find, you know, new and, and different ways um, to, to do the same type of work. Um, I, I could see you know, recommending to, to my clients that, you know, they put more emphasis on questionnaires, but not just focus or emphasize the questionnaire itself. Um, I think that the questionnaire should be coupled with, you know, some interviews. And yeah, it's, we can't do in-person interviews, so we'll do, you know, Zoom interviews. All right. And and so with that, I think you, you, the interviews are to to validate the responses that are provided by individuals. Oftentimes you see a, a risk assessment questionnaire that's sort of a yes, no, right, response. And, that, and that's, you know, intentional, right? Because you want to you make sure that you, you're asking questions in a way that it, it doesn't allow for much wiggle room, right? So, so drafting the questionnaire is also a key aspect of doing the risk assessment. I also think that in some cases when, you, when you're doing the, the controls assessment uh, part of the risk assessment, that you allow for there to be attachments of documents or supporting evidence um, of the controls, right? And so I think that's where you would ask, you know, individuals to attach, you know, they say that they're they're doing a daily control. You might want to ask them for what are some, you know, a sample of the transactions that they're approving on a daily basis, just, just by way of example. Um, I, I think also it, it we can't underemphasize the point that these risk assessments should be conducted by individuals who have experience in doing risk assessments, right? And, and you know, many might say that, well, that's self-serving coming from a, a compliance advisor, right? But, but, but again, I, I think that in reviewing the results of the questionnaire, in understanding what questions to ask, I think the, you know, experience goes a long way, Tom, because you can, you can, you can tell an experienced person can tell when they're being provided with uh, misinformation, um, or or uh, that the evidence that has been provided to them is not quite up to par. So I think that's where 
you know, you might have a false sense of security if, if someone who's not experienced in doing this actually um, does the risk assessment and miss a whole bunch of stuff that, that may be critical to understanding the exposures an organization face. So th those are just a few points I think that are, you know, helpful in, in uh, thinking about risk assessments. Right. How do you help a client think through issues on training, uh, obviously on fraud risk, but even now uh, in the largely work from home environment uh, with many of the new risks in the fraud space that have emerged? Uh, a great question. I think, you know, it starts with, with a training needs assessment, right? I, I think um, many organizations don't do this, right? They they start with, oh, we need blank regulatory training, and that's that's what they do. But they don't do a true training needs assessment. So what does that mean? So it means that there are individuals in certain parts of your organization that a certain regulatory, uh, you know, guidance may not may not apply to. Right. And so this training needs assessment. What it does is it maps sort of the daily sort of day day job of individuals within your organization to the potential regulatory challenges that they face. And then that you're able to assign sort of that person needs this type of training and, and that targeted focus on, you know, the individual and what their training needs are. It helps compliance. Right. Because now you have targeted compliance training for a certain regulation that that individual is responsible for. And I think that that's something that sort of uh, sometimes that's not always uh, understood by by organizations, right? And and they they miss that. And and so everyone gets the training that everyone gets, <laughs> right? And I, and I think that's that's to me is should be should be addressed. The the other concept is how do you train now that you've identified the individuals and what they need, how do you train those individuals, right? And in a you know pre-pandemic world, we you know were it, it was sort of hey let's let's do in-person training for people that we think are in a risky bucket, right? Well, I don't think that stops. I think again the way we do the training is you know that may be by Zoom now, right? Like we're having you know uh, our, our telecast. I think we, we do the same thing with those individuals. Yes, it's not quite as effective, but again we don't want to stop training just because there is a pandemic. We just need to think of creative ways to continue to do those training um, in this world. And I think for, for that's really in person and the high risk individuals. For the moderate risk individuals and, and below, I think you know there again, you can continue to do some of the same things that organizations have been doing for years, right? And that is you know, web-based, uh, you know, on-demand type training programs uh, for those individuals, um, as well as you know, the, the learning assessments that, that come with that, right? The tests at the end of the, of the uh, the on-demand training, I think helps to to ensure that people are paying attention, right? And so, I think that's just some some thoughts on on uh, training, Tom. Right. One concept that I've heard you talk about in the past is the audit readiness assessment. That's a term that, frankly, I was not familiar with, and I think many legally trained compliance practitioners are not familiar with. So, I wanted to ask you uh, what what is an audit readiness assessment. Why are they important and, and how are they used? From my perspective, an audit, audit readiness assessment is a tool for compliance officers to use to help them stay informed, right? We, we, you know, they often, you know, conduct a risk assessment. 
they put in place a policy and and procedure and perhaps some some financial controls, which again near and dear to my heart. Um, and and they they set it and forget it, right? Um, and and now you know they have potential regulators knocking at the doors. I think what the audit audit re- <laughs> audit readiness assessment does is it it's it's similar to a compliance audit. Um, except that it can be very targeted, right? So if, in fact, the organization put in place some new, uh, you know, controls around AML CFT, for example, right? You want to, you know, do a, a dry run of what the regulatory audit would look like ahead of the regulators coming in. And so you design an audit program to stress test your own systems, right? And, and the report will just help you improve your uh, compliance program or that aspect of your compliance program and and hopefully identify some of the pitfalls before the regulators come in and and you know when the regulators come in they sometimes they they're really nice and sometimes they're not and so um, I think you know this this tool helps uh, our compliance uh, you know officers uh, really get it right ahead of the regulatory visit or inspection. Unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us for our next episode where we take up the topic of how to detect fraud. I wanted to thank you. Absolutely, Tom. Take care. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of a K2 Integrity Podcast, Business and Financial Fraud, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. Check out the resources available on the K2 Integrity website, which is listed in today's show notes. This special five-part podcast series is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks so much for joining us.